Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Church, it is so good to be with you today. 12 Stone Home, 12 Stone Online, across our campuses. I love our church. I love getting to come together every seven days and turn our attention to Jesus together. So, so welcome into that wherever you are. Uh, to, to get started today, I, I wonder if you've ever asked this question. Are better days coming? Are better days coming? Like, are, are things going to get better like life is hard and, and, and times are often scary. So are, are better days coming? Now, before I unpack that question and, and dig into to the book of James today, I, I want to start with a story, a, a really, really personal story from my family. This is a picture of my little brother, Ben, and his wife, Courtney, dancing on their wedding day. My brother Ben is the FCA director for Jackson County. FCA is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He has three kids, Tally, Red, and Summit. And uh, I, I do want to kind of take a pause. Millennials, I don't know why we do this. I'm a millennial. He's a millennial. We name our kids really kind of bizarre things. Like my kids are, are Bear, Jude, and Maverick. And we don't really have a reason other than... I guess we just thought those names were cool. So he's got three kids, Tally, Red, and Summit. Uh, he is in ministry with his wife, Courtney, a uh, wonderful family. He's an elder on the elder board of his church. Like God has been so kind uh, to bring him to where he is today in his life. But if we were to rewind 15 years ago, in fact, 15 years ago this week, on July 31st of 2007, my brother was hanging out with some friends. He was 16 years old. After football workouts, they were swimming in a pool at a buddy's house, and he dove into the shallow end of a pool, and he broke his neck. He broke two vertebrae, shattered two vertebrae in his neck, uh, and uh, had those vertebrae uh, replaced in emergency surgery, the, the, whole, the whole thing. I, I remember where I was when uh, we got the call that this had happened to uh, my brother. In fact, uh, his, one of his friends called our landline at our house. Remember those? Um, I was uh, going to college, and I answered the landline like, hey, hey Ben's hurt. Uh, he hit his head on the bottom of the pool, um, and he's, he wasn't breathing, and so we get my, my, my dad and I hop in our, our Honda Accord and, and we drive uh, really close. Uh, the, the, the family where he hurt himself was really close to our house. So we drove, uh, actually jumped the ditch and drove to the front door, like drove to the front door. If you haven't done that before, I suggest, well, don't try it because the circumstances were, weren't great. Uh, we drove to the front door, we jump out. And I remember I still had kind of that big brother bravado thing going. Like I'd heard my brother was hurt, but we didn't know how bad. I go around back to where he He's laying on the side of the pool, and a buddy of his, uh, who just was incredible in that moment, had my brother's head in his lap, and I, I still had that big brother thing where I come up, and I'm like, all right, dude, let's get up, walk it off, put some dirt on it, you're okay, right? Like, I, don't, I just don't, you know, my distrust of his weakness, right? It was kind of how I was, and I would never forget the look in his eyes when he realized he could not move anything. And shortly thereafter, the paramedics get there, and they actually have a couple of tests that they do to test if he's responding and his body wasn't responding. And, and uh, they rush him to the emergency room, core surgery. He was in ICU for eight or nine days and then spent three months at Shepherd Spinal Center. Here are some pictures of him uh, in the, the journey. 
of, um, of recovering and uh, uh, paralyzed at this point in his journey. And, uh, but then as time progressed, uh, he begins to learn how to walk again. And um, you fast forward to this moment, he does still have uh, some disabilities. And, you know, in, in, the, in the middle of the, 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 the worst of it, we're asking questions like, is he going to walk again? Is he going to be okay? We're asking that question that I asked a moment ago, are better days coming? And, and uh, God has been so kind in his healing. My brother does still have some disabilities today. His right side of his body has limited motor function, uh, um, but he, he walks. And uh, left side of his body actually doesn't feel pain or temperature sensation, which uh, as a college kid, that's a pretty cool party trick. If your leg doesn't feel pain, you just get your buddy, hey, poke, poke me with that, that thing. Um, but, but God has been really, really kind in my brother's uh, journey and getting him to the other side of the struggle. Now, notice how significant him dancing on his wedding day is now. You see the end of the story. You see the other side of the struggle. Now, imagine if I had flipped how I shared that story with you. What if I had started with, it was July 31st, 2007, and my brother broke his neck. And I started telling the story in the middle of the struggle. You would have been sitting in your seat thinking, well, what happened? Is he okay? Can, can, can he walk? Is he still paralyzed? No, but even though you might have been surprised by some of the details as I shared his story, you already knew the ending of the story, and so you knew where we were going. You could handle hearing about the struggle in the middle because you knew the end. And when we think about our faith and what James does in James chapter 5 today, is I think James is doing that for us as Christians as well. Because we're in the middle of the struggle. We see it, we feel it, and the Christians that James was writing to when he wrote the, the letter to these Christians, the book of James that we have now, he was writing to Christians who were scattered all over the Roman Empire. They're facing pain and persecution and opposition because of their faith. They're in the middle of the struggle. And while they're in the middle of it, James paints a picture for them of what it's going to be like on the other side of the struggle to help them get through in the middle of it. Because when you know the end of the story, we can handle the struggles in the middle of the story. When we know where things are going to eventually end up, and here's where they go, and this is what James is gonna unpack. One day, Jesus is gonna return. One day, the Lord Jesus is coming back. And James uses that as the picture of the end of the story to help Christians then and now Christians today move through the struggle in the middle of the story. So we're going to jump into James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. And this theme, listen for it, this theme of Jesus' return and his encouragement to how we wait in the middle of the struggle is what I think God's going to use today to hopefully change our lives. So Jesus is returning, but how do we wait? Listen for it in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
So before we unpack how that verse applies to us in our waiting today, I feel like I got to go there for a little bit with this idea of the Lord is coming, that Jesus is returning. So, so if you can bear with me and, and like handle us going towards the conversation of the end times without me like telling you what the end times are going to look like, that's what we're going to do for just a moment. Because James mentions it twice in that passage. He says the Lord's coming and the Lord's coming is near. And when we begin to think about something like Jesus' return and the end times, we have questions like, when, how, what will it be like when Jesus returns? Now, like I said, we can't go fully into that conversation today, but I know some of you are sitting there, you're watching the news, you're talking to people, you're in your head a lot, and you're thinking, is this it? Because it kind of feels like it might be it. Like you're thinking, man, if Jesus, uh, I, I, I'm looking around, things aren't awesome. So if you wanted to go ahead and come back, I, I think now might be a pretty good time. Or, or, or maybe you've read a book or you have a friend who read a book that said, well, if this happens over here in Israel, and then if this happens, then uh, Jesus is absolutely then going to return. Or, or, or maybe you've heard conversation around the rapture. You've heard this from movies or, or books, and, and the word rapture is a word that Christians have used to help kind of refer to the time where God is going to come back and, and take Christians back up with him uh, to heaven. Now, the word rapture actually does not appear in scripture. It's just kind of a church word that's been used to describe when Jesus comes back. Uh, I know for me, when I think about the rapture, I get this image of like uh, people like poofing away and their clothes like kind of hitting the ground. Like, and it's just a pile of clothes because the person kind of, kind of poofed away. Like if, like if I was preaching right now and, and I poofed away and it was just my clothes left and then other people around you started poofing away and it was just their clothes left, um, you might first be perplexed. I'll tell you the second thing you should be really scared um, because that means you got left and the rest of us are, are gone. Or, or if, if other people started poofing away, this would be my fear. I'm up here preaching and other people start poofing with a rapture and I don't. Um, <laughs> if that happens, uh, you should also be terrified because <laughs> I'm not the right guy for the job. But so, I mean, you, you think about the end times and we have this speculation and there's so many opinions about what it's going to be like. And if you wanted to do some more research, you could go to Matthew 24 and 25. You could go to the Old Testament book of Daniel. You could go to 1 Thessalonians 4. And of course, the whole book, uh, the end of the Bible, Revelation. You could learn a little bit more. But we really don't know how. And we certainly don't know when Jesus is going to return. My point today is not to illustrate uh, how Jesus is going to return, but simply that he will return. He's coming. The big, the big picture is Christians have been waiting on the return of Jesus. When Jesus would come and make all things right, when all brokenness would be redeemed and God would be forever lifted up and glorified. The word coming here in James chapter five literally means arrival in the literal, in the original language that it was written in. That Jesus one day is going to literally arrive and his presence is going to consume the earth. And that is the main thing. And so when you think about the Lord's coming and end times, we have to be careful to keep the main thing, the main thing and not get lost in the details. 
We could get lost in the, the trying to speculate how and when and our opinion with this and with that. But we have to say first, though, the main thing is the main thing. I don't want to get lost in the details. I want us to be found in the promise. And here's the promise. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that you've placed your faith in him, his life, death, on the cross and his literal bodily resurrection, that he is alive today, you will be saved. Which means if the skies were to part and the ceiling that you're sitting under was ripped off and angels started singing and a trumpet blast and God was here, you would be safe. You would be secure. That's what we mean when we say be found in the promise. Jesus is coming. But if you're in him, you are safe in that moment. But here's the tension that we feel today. We're waiting. We're waiting. And it's hard to wait. See, Christians have been waiting on Jesus to return ever since he ascended to be with the Father again after his earthly ministry. We've been waiting for thousands of years. And we know and we feel the reality of things not being right. I don't have to go long in this direction because we all see the effects of sin and brokenness around us. We see it globally with war, famine, economies crashing, inflation, human trafficking, and disease. We see it locally in anger and division and hunger and inequality and school disparities and poverty. We know that we're waiting personally because of marriage pain, our kids are running from God, personal sin, addiction, sickness, emotional and mental unhealth, and I could keep going on. Things are not right, and we're waiting. The Bible actually says that all of creation's waiting, by the way. It's not just us. Like Everything's waiting on Jesus to come back and fix this. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 22, the apostle Paul says it so well. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So I don't know what it feels like to have a child, obviously, but I assume that there's a lot of waiting, this intensity, this groaning, like you're waiting on something to come. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This groaning illustrates this longing for something else to come for things to be made right, because the struggle is real. And you feel it. Some of you are here today with great burden and great stress and great pressure under great pain. But our hope today is not that you would dwell on the loss and the pain and the pressure of the struggle, but again, that we'd be found in the promise, that we know the end of the story and that better days are coming. Even if those better days aren't tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, in Jesus, the eventual ending of the story is beautiful, whole, complete, and filled with joy. The Apostle Paul describes it like this in that same chapter of Scripture, Romans 8, verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared of the glory that is to be revealed to us. Are better days coming? Yes. And our pain is not even worthy to be in the conversation of our future. Comparing our pain to heaven's promise. Like if you could hold up your pain and compare it to heaven's promise, it'd be like trying to compare a puddle to an ocean. 
a grain of sand to a mountain, because our pain cannot even compare to the glory that's going to come to us when we're fulfilled in heaven with Jesus. Not even worthy to be compared. And you have that image in your mind of the future promise. And think about how I shared my brother's story. I showed you the joy on the other side of the struggle, and that impacted how you heard about the struggle. And I think James has done the same thing for us here with our faith. We see the other side of the struggle, namely that the Lord is coming back. And when you see the other side of the struggle, you can endure this side of the pain. You see what what happens when we begin to know this, that when we know the end of the story, we can handle the struggles in the middle of the story. But again, we're waiting. I don't remember the pastor who actually said this, but I think it's helpful in this moment. He said that Christians live in the already, but not yet. Think about it. Christians live in the already, but the not yet. It's already been decided, declared, and decreed that Jesus wins. He wins. But we live in the not yet. Because God has not yet come and fully redeemed creation. And so sometimes we just have to crawl into the struggle. We ask God, what are you doing in this? And help me kind of wait through it. And and here's what I don't want to do today. I do believe that God wants to bless you today. So don't hear me say that all the blessing is in eternity, though I do believe that is the, the chief place, kind of the primary place where blessing is. I believe God does want to bless you today. I believe God does want to help you through your current circumstances because God cares about you. He cares about us and our pain. My goal today is to lift our hope to, to, to help us have hope, like not to remove our hope from our current circumstances. So not to remove hope from current circumstances, but to raise our hope up to where it would be so big that no matter our circumstances, we have what it takes to get through. That's our hope for today as we talk about the end of the story. So how do we wait in this not yet? How do we wait? We're gonna go back to James chapter five, verse seven, and work through some ways that we wait Well, verse seven says, be patient then brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. How do we wait? First, be patient. We can't rush God. We can't rush God. James uses the example of a farmer. Are any of you uh, familiar with farming, grew up on a farm, a few people, hands across the campuses, 12 stone home? I grew up in South Georgia. The first church that my dad pastored was in rural, uh, a rural area where we actually had like crops across the street from the church. Our music minister, uh, that's an old term if you've been around church for a while, our music minister was a bivocational farmer. And in a farming accident at some point in his life, he had lost his ring finger. And so you can imagine an old music minister would conduct the, uh, the choir and the congregation like this. Well, he's conducting like this and uh, missing a finger. So like I've seen farming up close. And, and notice which, what, what, like why James would use this example. Because farmers need rain when they plant their crops. They're always waiting on the rain. They need the rain, but they can't control the rain. 
See, in the time of James, uh, Israel farmers would, would, would plant their crops in autumn around the autumn rains, and then they would harvest their crops in spring around the spring rains. But a farmer knew that the timing couldn't rush it, was out of his hands. A farmer doesn't plant his crop on Monday and then go back outside on Tuesday and go, come on, crops, where are you? I thought that you'd already be grown, but isn't that how we tend to think about things? We want instant gratification. We want to microwave what God wants to crockpot. You know what I'm <laughs> isn't that how we tend to, to think about the things that we're waiting on? But, but here's, here's the truth. A farmer knows that growing takes time. That the crop, for us, the results that we're waiting for are often on the other side of time. I'll say it like this, that some results are only found on the other side of longevity. Some results are only found on the other side of longevity. Some things only come on the other side of waiting. So let me go there for a second. Think about this, kind of the, the rushing God. Because it's in moments that require patience where we let the lie of speed convince us to make a bad trade or a damaging trade. Like trying to rush God doesn't work. Trying to rush God doesn't work, mainly because God is God and God's gonna do what God wants to do. But it also causes problems. So let me explain this idea of the, the bad trade. That when we attempt to rush God's timing in anything in life that you're waiting on, and we lose patience, we make bad trades that hurt ourselves and hurt others. I'll illustrate with road trips. Um, my family, uh, my wife's family lives in Florida. And so three or four times a year, we are on the interstate headed south. And our road trips, and I have three boys, eight, six, and two and a half. So how we plan our road trips matters, right? And our road trips have been completely revolutionized over the past year because the Jerusalem of road trip stops has come to Georgia. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Bucky's. Okay, I'm about to have like a, a fangirl moment for Bucky's. It has over, it has a hundred gas pumps, which by the way, on Friday coming back from vacation, I got gas for 347. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Um, the restrooms are so clean. They have every treat known to man. They have fudge, they have fresh pastries, and they, have, they are smoking brisket and cutting it in the center of the, 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 the rest stop. Now, uh, and then on the other side of it, just for kicks, there's a home decor section. I don't, I can't make this up. We plan our road trips around Bucky's fully and completely. Like, it's a thing. It's become such a thing in the Hildebrandt house. My two older boys sleep with Bucky's blankets. And I'm, guys, like I had to convince my kid to let me take this today. That's how much the Hildebrands love Bucky's. Now, before I go any further, I have to actually call out a friend of mine um, because I have the opportunity to do it, and he's kind of left with me doing this. Uh, one of the other teaching pastors, the Buford campus pastor, Steve Walton, he thinks Bucky's is just a glorified gas station. Like, and I said, just, just like Chick-fil-A's, just a chicken place? Come on, man. <laughs> So uh, if you're at the Buford campus and you love Bucky's, can you just give Steve a hard time today? <laughs> Let him feel that he's, he's, he's wrong. This is not a gray area. Bucky's is wonderful. It's an incredible experience. Now watch, watch where I'm going with the rushing God and impatience. Sometimes when we're on the road, even though we know that waiting for Bucky's is the best experience, 
we get impatient. And my kids begin to whine. They need to use the restroom. They need to to eat something. Dad, are we there yet? And we allow impatience and, and feeling rushed to cause us to pull off some isolated, obscure exit on the interstate. We got to go to that really creepy place, go inside, ask the guy if we can use the restroom. He gives you a key with like a piece of, of, of wood tied to it. I don't want to know who's touched that key. And then you have to go around back to go in. That's one of the places, like, I'm kind of, I'm not a germaphobe, but I'm weird and with my kids in those places, I'm going in with them. I'm taking all of them with me at once so I can keep my eyes on them. And my rule is don't touch anything. <laughs> don't even wash your hands. We'll, we'll figure it out in the car. Um, see, and what happens is impatience makes me choose something lesser. We'll often choose something lesser in place of something better. We make a bad trade. We choose speed over what is best. And just because something is faster does not mean it is better. In fact, it's often the opposite, that the best things often come on the other side of longevity. And I know that Bucky's is a lighthearted example, but you get the picture that we do this in life. That God says, trust him and his timing. Be faithful in the waiting. Be patient because he is loving and good. But in our rush and our need for speed, we make a bad trade and it leads to a bad experience. We make bad trades in our character where we choose a private sin over and over again because it makes us feel better in the moment and it's actually wearing down our soul. We make bad trades with our finances and we'll swipe a credit card again and again because we want that thing now. We make bad trades in our marriage where we need a cheap fix and so we'll give into something like pornography thinking it's just our eyes but it's actually stealing a piece of our heart. We'll make bad trades in our marriage when we choose to say no to date night because we just feel too busy and we end up becoming just roommates passing in the night. We make bad trades in our faith where we give God a little bit of time here and there on Sunday mornings, but we choose many other things in place of worship. We make bad trades with intimacy with Jesus and prayer and scripture reading and serving others and worship because we have to get to our emails and our to-do list, our social media, and our busy schedules. We make bad trades in our calling where God has called you to something. He's giving you a purpose, and you wanted it at the snap of a finger. But God said, no, the best things come on the other side of time and you make a trade and you give up on that calling for comfort because the calling didn't come quickly. You see what we're doing? We're always rushing. We're so impatient. We're making bad trades. So hear the word of the Lord from James that while we're waiting, be patient. Be patient. There is good coming on the other side of us waiting while we wait for Jesus to return. Another principle for waiting that we see in James is this. Don't give up on each other. Don't give up on each other. Verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another. Another version that I read says, don't complain against one another. Brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. See, everything James is actually teaching in this passage, he has this in mind particularly that people are causing people pain. That people around us and in our lives are often the, pe- the, the place where our patience is most tried. And you, some of you are like, yep, it's people who are trying my patience. Somebody just clapped. You should not clap. <laughs> the word for patience here in Scripture in the original language literally translates to long 
anger. Now, not long anger like you're angry for a long time. Long anger in that when you have your eyes set on the end of the story that Jesus is going to return one day, that you have a long fuse. It takes you a long time to get angry. You're patient with people. You say no to grumbling and complaining and conflict with others because you are so grounded in the coming of the Lord. Because of the joy to come, it fuels your ability to let go of quick anger with the people in your life. You could say it like this, that patience with people, and this is going to be a a kind of a, a heavy thought for some of us. Patience with people is a sign that you trust the end of the story. Do you see impatience rise inside of you all the time? I would say, are you focused more on the middle of the story than the end of the story? Patience is a sign that you trust the end of the story. And we become the type of people that say no to grumbling and no to complaining and no to conflict for, with, with certain people because we trust God. He's the judge, right? The scripture says that he's the judge. You don't have to be the judge. You can choose to be patient. And let me take this thought a little bit deeper. Because it's not just about us being kind people, right? That's maybe what we hear. I should be more kind. I should be more patient. But when we know the end of the story, namely that every single person has an eternity with Jesus or without Jesus, every single person has a soul. People are a soul. People have an eternity. Uh, People are more than what annoys you and angers you. People have an eternity, And you begin to see people differently, begin to see people the way God sees people, because it's difficult to hate someone when you see them for their soul. And guys, this is why we're still here. This is why after you give your life to Jesus, he doesn't again just poof you back up to heaven. He leaves us here for the purpose of mission and impact on on others. And when you realize that God leaves us here for people, you begin to see every aspect of life differently. You begin to realize that every single moment, every single interaction, every single person is a moment for impact. And catch this, like impatience with others often grows when we're bored. You ever thought about that? Like impatience is tied to boredom. And if we're bored in the pursuit of Jesus in our lives, we're not doing it right. Bored? Followers of Jesus should be the most daring, adventurous, life-giving people in the world. Because every day is an opportunity to see one more soul, one more person served with the love of Jesus Christ. Every day is an opportunity to literally stand in the battlefield You're literally on the battlefield warring against a very real enemy for one more soul to say yes to Jesus. Boring? Impatient? Man, when when I'm ready to do that, uh, patience grows because I see like I'm in the fight. I'm not bored waiting on results because God has given me the opportunity to do something new, to fight for one more soul every single day. And the patience comes with people because people are no longer obstacles. (laughs) People are the purpose. And when you see that people are the purpose and that there is hope for everyone, even the most difficult, annoying, broken, and even evil people, that there's hope for people because of Jesus, you begin to live with people differently. Don't give up on each other. When we know the end of the story, we can bring hope in the middle of the story to other people. And then finally, as we wait, we have confidence in the face of uncertainty. 
gonna read back to, to verse eight and then verses 10 and 11 of James chapter five. He says, you too be patient and stand firm. The, the another version that I read often, the English Standard Version says, strengthen your hearts. So you too be patient and stand firm, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. The prophets, pause, they would speak the word of God knowing that they would face adversity. But even though they didn't know what was to come in the future, they still spoke the word of God and they persevered in the face of uncertainty. How? You heard of Job's perseverance and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So James uses the example of Job and Old Testament prophets to illustrate with, to us what it means to wait with confidence. You see, Job lost everything. Go read the book of Job. He lost everything, his wealth, his family. Yet he finds that hope in God was enough to get him through. At the beginning of Job, in Job 121, scripture says it like this, so beautifully said, naked I came into my mother's womb and naked I will return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Much of what it means to live for Jesus is this, uh, you're always saying, come what may, Jesus, I trust you. Come what may, Jesus, I trust you. Because every Christian is to live with the certainty, it's coming, of Jesus' return so if you're certain that Jesus is going to come back, we live with confidence in the present. Our future tense hope translates into present tense confidence. Our future tense hope, do you believe that Jesus is coming back, translates into present tense confidence. And, and I know that sometimes we, we, like we want God to do something here and now. But if you think about your life on a spectrum, if A is your birth and Z is when you're with Jesus, we're often asking God to deal with all the other letters, right? God, I'm on, I'm on letter F, and what are you going to do on the next letter? F, G, right? Is that the next letter? What are you going to do on the next? And what I think the invitation of God in Scripture here when he says, until the Lord's coming, is there's going to be a ton of uncertainty, uh, B through Y. But if you know Z, you can face every other place in life, even if it's hard, because you know what's coming on the other side, because not every story is going to end beautifully here. I know that's hard. Not every story is going to end beautifully here, but if you are in Christ, the end will be beautiful. I heard this in a song recently. If the story is not good, the story is not over. If your story in Christ is not good, then your story is not over. Revelation 21 and 22 actually describe the end of the story for us. Where everything will be made new. God will be with us. There will be no more crying, pain, or death. The hungry and the thirsty will be satisfied. The apostle John who wrote Revelation can only describe the city of God using terms of precious stones and bright light because he is so in awe. He's stunned by our future home where nothing is impure and there is no need for the sun, no need for the sun, S-U-N, because the glory of the Lord is only light that is needed. And in Revelation chapter 22 are what I believe are the most are the most beautiful five words in all of scripture. Most beautiful five words in all of scripture. They will see his face. Are better days coming? Church, the best day is coming. When one day 
We are going to be with him. And when you know the end of the story, we can handle the struggles in the middle of the story. You may be in the hardest struggle of your life. You may carry great uncertainty, but your eternity does not have to if you are in Christ because your forever is certain in Jesus. So we take confidence today. As Jesus said it in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. I know we have trouble. This life is hard. We're all waiting for things to be made right. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. If the story is not good, the story isn't over. One more recent story from my family. I come from a wonderful family. I am one of 16 grandchildren. Out of 16 grandchildren, uh, there's 27 great-grands and still counting. The matriarch of our family, my grandmama, as I call her, my dad's mom, uh, died last week. And um, we went down to her funeral on Monday, this past Monday, and uh, family from all over the country now, we're all grandkids and great-grandkids, we're scattered all over. And we came back to, to her funeral and uh, we had prayed. She'd had dementia for years. And we had prayed for God to take that away. But God did not take away her, her dementia. He healed her in another way. He didn't take away her dementia. But I promise you, the end of her story is beautiful. As her grandkids, all of us but two that were in different states, 14 grandkids and a few of the great-grands stood up in the middle of the funeral. And we sang an old hymn, Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. See, when you have Jesus, even in a moment like that, it's beautiful. My uh, six-year-old at the graveside, he was fascinated by it. <laughs> kind of weird. Um, we go up to the casket uh, above the, the hole at the, uh, the, where they're going to bury her. And he looks down and he goes, is she in there? <laughs> and my, my six-year-old kind of has a list, but it was more like, is she in there? Um, and I said, well, buddy, her, her body is. Grandmom is with Jesus because she is a soul. And if the story isn't good, the story isn't over, her story is good. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus for you and for all of us. So whether it's my grandmother's dementia or my brother's accident or your financial worries or pain in your family or addiction or a sin habit that you just can't get over or, or maybe it's just the brokenness of the world and community and society and you just look at it all and you're so heartbroken. Guys, this is the end of the story. Be patient. James chapter five, verse eight, you too, us too, 12 stone church, anybody watching, you too, be patient, stand firm, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. When we know the end of the story, we can handle the struggles in the middle of the story. Better days are coming because of Jesus. So pastors are gonna be stepping up across campuses and at 12 Stone Home to pray. And here's what I think we're praying today. Some people need to just confess and be honest about the struggle that you're in. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to take the idea of Jesus returning out of just your mind and into your heart. It's not just an idea that Jesus is returning, it's a truth. And allow the truth that the end of the story is good and beautiful for those who are in Christ to come into your struggle today and give you new hope. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.